Hello. QueerAF is now an independent community interest company. Our podcast's first four seasons were funded by National Student Pride, and so there might be some old calls to action in them. For the most up-to-date info on our podcast that funds budding LGBTQIA plus audio producers, visit wearequeeraf.com and sign up for our free weekly newsletter that sums up the LGBTQIA plus world and supports queer creatives kickstart their career. Enjoy the show. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome to Hashtag Queer AF, the podcast that keeps National Student Pride's conversation alive all year round. We've had some amazing shows in our second season with contributions from hugely talented students and graduates. To draw our second season to a close, we're bringing you our live recorded evening with our National Student Pride ambassador and twice guest host of this very show, Evan Davis, as part of our contribution to Star News' Digital Pride, which just like us at NSP brings events and LGBT plus conversations to people from all over the world. So over to the BBC Newsnight, Dragon's Dead, and previously Radio 4 host, Evan Davis. Enjoy. Great pleasure. Great pleasure to be here. Fan of your work, Jamie. Yeah, big fan of your work. (laughs) And obviously, you've been on this podcast twice before when you guest hosted at National Student Pride. I've been the presenter of the podcast. And you know what? Every time, just before I go on, you say, remember, it's the Queer AF podcast... And I forget to say that. I just treat it like any other stage event. So I feel terrible uh, about having forgotten to do it on two occasions. Uh, but no, I've enjoyed my, uh, I've enjoyed my stage, stage performances. Yeah, thank you right. and, yeah. and I always stick a link on where I put it in anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but obviously we're flipping it around today. So I've taken back my presenter seat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's how it should be. That's how it should be. Um, so obviously, like, uh, what we've been doing with Digital Pride over the last week has been immense. Um, but one of the projects that we did that I really enjoyed following was with Age UK and we did this thing where we brought kind of older and younger generations together and we plonked people that are of kind of similar vibes in the same room Um, and as we were both kind of doing some journalism bits and bobs and some presentary bits and bobs I thought great let's do the same thing again yeah so uh, I had my 56th birthday on April the 8th Um, and I'm I'm not embarrassed to say that I'm perfectly comfortable being 56 and you're how old, Jamie? 25. 25. So uh, I'm almost twice your age, basically. Yeah. <laughs> a, bit more than tw- no, a bit more than twice your age. Bad map, bad mental degree. Good grief. Yeah, well, this is... I think this... I think this conversation between generations is very important because one of the things I find as a gay man growing older is that everybody at work thinks, oh, the gays, they have such a good time when they grow old. They don't, they're not constrained by kids. They go to clubs and they are, they're fun. They're in touch with the youth. Um, but actually, here's the ghastly secret. You know, 
I hadn't heard of Ariana Grande, literally. No, no, no. Just, sorry, Can you say that in this room? No, no, I'm, I, 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 I'm just... I'm so out of touch, and all my straight parent friends are miles more in touch with the kids because they have kids. And so I, uh, I find one of my sort of missions in life, and it's why I'm so absolutely delighted to be an ambassador for uh, Student Pride, apart from I'm, I can call myself an ambassador and have Ferrero Rocher chocolates, um, is... No, Not on our budget. It, it, is, it is, because actually I think this connecting of sort of the older and the younger yeah. is very important, particularly among a group who don't have kids, or among a group who have parents, but who, parents who, however sort of loving and friendly and, and, and well-disposed they are, are going to be maybe, maybe leading a very different life to their LGBT plus Q plus uh, offspring. So I, I think this conversation is a really important conversation. Yeah. Amazing. And the last time that we did a bit of an interview was for the year that National Student Pride really focused on coming out. And I do want to revisit that as a subject because for a new Digital Pride audience, for us in the room today, it's always important to talk about the coming out stories. It's the so biggest, <laughs> it is the biggest single thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember you gave me some great advice around coming out. We gave everyone great advice. So, like, what, what was your kind of uh, advice about coming out? I can't remember what I said to you, um, Jamie, but my <laughs> advice is my, my, the first big step is coming out to yourself. And the more comfortable you are with yourself, the more comfortable everybody else is with you being gay. So, that's the first thing. Um, the second thing I always say is, the more casual about it you are, the better. So my, my advice, when you go into a new job, a lot of, get, this is an everyday issue for so many people. You arrive in your new job, is, am I going to tell them I'm gay? How am I going to tell them I'm gay? And I think the worst way to tell your colleagues is to say, okay, everybody, can we just sit down? I have something I need to tell you. That, ghastly and it makes them feel awkward and it makes them sort of they'll look at their feet and the best way to do it is just to assume they know and drop it into the conversation so you say did you see that new james bond film my boyfriend and i loved it you know and they will feel relieved that it's out there and they will feel comfortable because it's like it's not a conversation we have to have when we don't want to have this conversation it's all very awkward we're quite okay with it and so i think sort of being really really easy about it is is the way to do it now there is the harder aspect i mean work is one thing i think the conversation with parents is a sort of life-defining experience, well, and that, that's, that's, a bit, that's a bit different. And I was going to say that because I think it's interesting that your advice was be really casual about it, because when you came out to your parents... Yeah, you can't be casual with your parents about different. it. Oh, Dad, yeah. Oh, this is my boyfriend. I think, that, I think that's, that's a bit harder. Um, and I literally did have the sit down, everybody, I've got something to say. Um, I had told my brother beforehand... Um, so I did, it was Christmas afternoon, actually, and um, I'd, said, I'd set myself a deadline. I'm going to tell my parents by Christmas. So it was about three o'clock on Christmas Day. I hadn't told my parents. Now I have to tell them. Um, and I had told my brother before, and he kind of made it easy because I said, OK, sit down, I've got something to tell you. And I said, can you guess what it is? And my brother said, you're gay. And uh, it meant I didn't actually have to say it. <laughs> so it was, it, it, that, that was a bit, of a, a bit of a help. But I think it is, it is difficult with parents. And I think what you have to understand with parents is don't worry about the, the immediate reaction. Parents will have lots, if they haven't guessed, 
they will have a kind of a multitude of feelings about it. In my mum's case, I think it was her first immediate comment was about grandchildren. And, and she was just really saying what was coming into her mind. And I think that's very reasonable. Um, but you basically have to, if it is a shock to them, you just need to give them a bit of time. And I think on the whole, um, just being very gentle about it, not too militant about it, not demanding, but just sort of telling them in a very straight, confident way uh, is probably the only thing you can the only thing you can do. And then you just pray that they are you've got loving parents who love you for whatever you are. Yeah, and, and to second to something like slightly sad, obviously, like in the previous live stream at the end, we spoke about the Albert Kennedy Trust and the work they're doing with LGBTI youth homelessness. A lot of people don't have such an easy ride. And uh, I just wonder, you know, w when you had those statistics, one in four it's young shocking. homeless people mm. are LGBTI, what you thought about them? No, I think that is, that is really shocking. I'm, I'm very privileged. My parents are incredibly loving. They're very accepting and, you know, totally supportive. And I, I can't imagine what it would be to have sort of had that conversation I had with my parents, gone through those reactions, and at the end of it, to have had nothing but negativity, or worse, to have been sort of abandoned, kicked out. And, you know, I think it behoves us all in the community to make sure we're giving a lift to the people who are not as lucky as we are. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, right back at the episode one of this season, we followed the documentary uh, The Queer Muslim Sex Worker. And there was this scene that felt like it was a movie and she came out to our parents and it was and she climbed off the roof like something from skins you know and it just mm. those kind of stories are heartbreaking and, and I, what i think is particularly heartbreaking around homelessness stories is i feel like we all we all care about homelessness it's important but actually we walk past it every day on the street look i mean it's it's a it's a ghastly, ghastly problem. And, and you can, there are multiple dimensions to it. There are mental health dimensions to it. There are substance abuse dimensions to it. Um, there's an LGBTQ plus dimension to it. And there's, let's face it, a housing element to it, which is that it's just very expensive. So finding a place for yourself if you're not in a well-paid job turns out to be difficult. And renting a place, you know, you need to pay three months deposit and give the sort of give your blood and, uh, and, and it's, it's, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous. So, no, there are a lot of dimensions to it. Um, and that's why we need to support people who are struggling with it. I mean, it's obvious, really, isn't it? Yeah. We, we just all, if those, the, the lucky among us, do you know what I think? If you ask me, and, and often in sort of job interviews, people say, what's your weakness or what makes you angry or whatever? Mine is, I think selfishness among people who are privileged is really annoying. I mean, I think it's, if you're privileged, be nice. I mean, if you're not privileged, I forgive you if you're not nice and you're a bit stingy or you don't buy a round of drinks or you are, you know, a, a bit grumpy. If you are privileged, well paid and in a good position, then you have a duty to sort of give back. And um, I think it's, it, it, it's just, you know, Everybody should think about that, and particularly the sort of the better off among us, I think, should, should be thinking that. Yeah, totally. And, uh, and obviously, as well, you, you, one of your things that you do is speak to politicians. I, I do, day. frequently. And, yes, and I what do. Is it, do you think they don't get about homelessness? Do you, do you think they hear the stories that we, we, we all think that we know? Oh, Jamie, Pol politics is difficult. I, I mean, I'll tell, you what, I'll tell you what I actually think. I mean, I think... I think fewer politicians are purely evil 
than most of the people in this audience currently think. You, you're probably thinking, half of you, three quarters of you are thinking the Tories are evil, and some of you are thinking Corbyn's are, you know, hopeless. Or, I, I, the truth is, politics is, is, is difficult. It is really, really difficult. And good politicians are making compromises. They're thinking, I want to do this, X. Uh, in order to get support for X, I have to sort of give support to Y, which I don't really like. And, um, and that gives me a coalition that's big enough to get what I want. And so what the, the mistake people make in thinking about how ghastly the politicians are is not to think about all the constraints that they're under. Um, and most of them are more well-meaning than you'd imagine. And I'll tell you what also, most of them are much, much more in touch with the world than I am and most people in this room are. Most of them, week by week, are dealing with really difficult cases in their constituency surgeries. Every time there's a blooming election, they have to traipse around estate after estate, house after house, knocking on doors, listening to people uh, mouth off at them. And that is good. That is what our politicians have to do. Um, and I, I, look, I'm not here to defend politicians. They, they, there are all sorts of flaws and dysfunctions in our political system, which is, you know, another 10 podcasts elsewhere. But look, so there are those. But all I would say is, is it's very easy to say they're just mean and um, they're kind of in it for themselves or they don't get it. But there are cases where they're very hard and they, you know, they're a bit un, in, not incompassionate. But I... I most of them, believe me, would like to deal with these problems and find when they get into power, you pull levers and nothing happens at the other end, or you pull a lever and you actually find there's a big, stupid problem that you didn't think about before you pull the lever that now occurs, or they pull the lever um, and four years later, it turns out that that lever, which you thought was going to be very popular, has a big backlash that's caused something, and you're now very unpopular. And so, so look, it's, it's, it's just difficult. And so be a little bit sympathetic and understanding, and be a little bit open-minded, and then hate the politicians, and then, you know, fight for whatever you believe in. But, but I, I, I'm, I, I think people, on the whole, don't, under, don't understand how difficult politics is. It is arbitrating between the rich and the poor, the urban population and the country population, arbitrating between, you know, young and old, all these things, really, it's, it's tough. It's yeah. tough being a politician. I, 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 think, I think we should have a little, bit of, a little bit of sympathy for them. This recording comes from a live event where tickets were raising money for the LGBT plus homeless charity Albert Kennedy Trust, following National Student Pride's theme of homelessness this year. So, although we should listen to Evan and have some sympathy for some politicians, we wanted to give out part of our ad break over to that brief chat that we mentioned earlier in the show with the AKT on stage about why they need sympathy from the politicians to support those in need. Of how 
disproportionate the figures are with LGBTI people and homelessness. Can you give us a sense of that? 24% of homeless youth identify as LGBT and 77% of those um, say that parental abuse and rejection led to their homelessness. Yeah, I see, I think that's huge. Like one in four of the people that are homeless are LGBT and then nearly all of them are homeless because they've lost that connection with their parents, which is so... It's awful, absolutely. Um, and one of the other problems is that once homeless, LGBT um, young people are much more at risk of um, targeted violence and discrimination, um, substance misuse problems, and being exposed to sexual exploitation than their non-LGBT peers. What I also think is really interesting about your charity in terms of the policy points that you take to government, I, can't, I always thought it would be about raising money and helping people, but I get a sense that actually that can't really help people in the long term. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we'll never turn down a cheque, but um, we know that, um, you know, offers of affordable rental housing needs to go alongside um, um, employment and training programmes, realistic living wage, um, but also for us, it's to make sure that the government is considering and including vulnerable LGBT young people in legislation. And without that, it's always going to be disproportionate because there are different needs that need to be met. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync... Things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Welcome back to Hashtag QueerAF, made to keep the pride of conversation that is National Student Pride a year-round discussion. We don't always find out about you, and I think you're a little bit of a role model, and I wonder how you feel about that as a word. Um... Makes me a little bit nervous because I know all the uh, bad things in my life. Um, no, I, I, I um, look. I, if people said you're a role model, I'd say please, please don't make me a role model. I definitely would say that. However, I would say we need 
a range of people who can show different paths to later life um, for young gay men, other LGBTQ plus population. And so what I... So, look, I'm terrified of the idea that I'm a role model. And as soon as you say you're a role model, the Daily Mail will report something you did at some place and they will, you know, say, oh, and he was a role model and look what he's been doing or something like that, which I, I would hate. But I do think... I, I, I do think, you know, growing older and working out how to do it and making mistakes in how to do it and how to do it with dignity. I, I, I do feel I am trying to carve that path. And I, I have to say, it's not, you know, there aren't that many generations who've, who've been doing it in, in the open and in, and in public. So basically my age and older, a lot of people died in the 1980s from AIDS. And that was, so there was a kind of, there was a big loss in the population there. There was a, a, literally a huge um, slice taken out of the gay male population in particular, um, who were older than me or my age and above. So that generation was dealing with something very different and there aren't as many as you would like there to be because a lot of them died in the 80s, 90s. And Do, do you think young people understand the pain of that enough? No. It was... Uh, it was, it was Amazing, I, I, just uh, in the most awful way. I mean, it, it is, um, yeah, it was incredible. And, and there was no medication. And it was just people were, were dying in very large numbers. And that is not happening now. And I think that, I mean, I think that memory will, I think it will live on. I think people will kind of, in principle, remember it. There'll be a kind of an AIDS memorial thing and there'll be an event every now and then in which it's remembered. But um, I think, you know, people should basically just reflect on how many were taken out. Um, absolute prime of life. And it wasn't, it wasn't like other diseases, you know. And it, it's a very strange thing, this. It, and, and this sounds a bit sort of biological and crude, but... Most diseases, like the Spanish flu, take out the weak, very elderly people and, the, uh, and people who are vulnerable. This was a disease that was kind of curiously shocking in that it took out literally the fittest people in the population. I mean, it was really, it was, it was the young, you know, people who were absolutely at the prime of their life. It was a, an absolute tragedy. And I think that memory should be seared into our heritage and our culture and our conversations. Yeah. Um, and by the way, we should worry about other things that may, you know, we, we, we have uh, antiretrovirals for HIV. Do we need to have a conversation about, you know, back, uh, antibiotic resistant gonorrhea and the effect it can have? I say super gonorrhea, I mean, right? it's, 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 you know, there are a lot of worrying things. So anyway, look, yeah, we should, let's not make this too much well, of a no, downer, but, but, you know, but people, people should remember that and they should, they should reflect on it. It is a real part of our history and, yeah. um, and, 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 and we should never let that go. And I think it's important, like, to hear you say something along those lines because obviously you're usually over here asking questions and it's interesting you, in, your, in your answer there you said it's really important we have those role models but then you were like, mm, but I'm not one. I, well, <laughs> look, I, I know I'm not one. I mean, 
for me, Ian McKellen is a role model. So I, I sort of, I, I do know that people like to have role models. So look, let's just agree on this. I'm not a role model, but I want to grow up in a way, in a sort of dignified, grow old, I mean, in a dignified and sensible way, which other people would say, yes, I would like to grow old like he grew old, you know, and that, 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 would, be, that would be great. And I, I you know, I'm, you only do it once, and I can only do it once. And um, so, yes, I think about how, how growing into the kind of, yeah, late 50s, I am late 50s, I'm 56, yeah, that is officially late 50s. <laughs> um, how growing into sort of 60s and how, how that is going to go and what does that mean and do you wear skinny jeans when you're 60 or is that like trying too hard? Or, That's I a love great first jeans. question. That's no, I, love skinny, I like skinny jeans. I love skinny jeans. <laughs> I, and I, I, you know, I'm... You're, gonna, you're never going to get me out of them. Um, That's but, part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think... So, so all these kinds of questions. You, you've got to be true to yourself. How do you be sincere? I mean, I think, I think the main thing about growing old is you don't want to look like you're embarrassed about it or you're trying to hide it or you're getting facial surgery to disguise it. I mean, all that kind of stuff. You want to do it and you want to be yourself. By the way, Jamie, I mean, my basic precept of life, now I'm 56, is I think until you're 35, you should be experimenting and finding out what you are. I'm not too precise about this, but say 35, you should say, now I know what I am, I'm not going to try and be anything different. So you might think, I don't like the way I, you know, I sing, or I don't, I don't like the way I pronounce the letter R, or, or any number of things, and you might really struggle with those things and say, I'm going to make myself better. I'm going to try and say the letter R in a different way. When you reach 35, forget that. Just say the letter R, like you've always, like your lips say the letter R. And if it sounds like Roy instead of Roy, be happy about that and don't worry about it. And so sort of about that point, 35, you should think, I'm going to be happy being what I am. Okay, I wanted to be like the best violinist in the world. I'm not going to be the best violinist in the world. I'm happy being, you know, violin number two at the back of the orchestra or whatever. I think, I think that is the sort of cut-off point where you have to say, I am going to be the best of what I am yeah. and I'm not going to try to be something that I'm not. Obviously, you should try to be something you're not up to a certain point because you've got to experiment and discover what you can be. Yeah. But at some point, you have to say, I'm happy as I am and I'm not going to fight it. So before 35, do you think there was things about that you, as you were growing up that you were trying to change? I'm just interested to see whether there's things uh, where the I am now. R, I was really... Yeah, um, it is the letter R. I, I did really, wonder. I really, really was very self-conscious about the way I said the letter R. Bread, Fred, you know, um, what other letters, words have the letter R in? No, I really, really thought I couldn't pronounce the letter R. Uh, and then I stopped worrying about it. Um, I think I was a bit body conscious, yeah. I, I was, I was, yeah body body conscious because um, I'm totally body conscious I'm so completely you think about, about it all you the look time. so young <laughs> you will I think you will appreciate that later on more than you do now Jamie but you will believe me you will be very glad yeah but like it's a big thing body confidence how do you how do you overcome it like because I think it's like a state of mind thing really that you really need to come to terms with rather yeah. than changing your body I think I've made that decision but I still I'm not happy I, I, you, you've said it. If your body doesn't look good to you, you need to change what you think about your body, not change your body. I mean, look, I'm not against, by the way, people... I'm not against people 
going to the gym, keeping fit, doing a bit of jogging, um, and watching the diet. I mean, that's, all, that's all natural and that's all good, and that's healthy. Um, but it, look, it's, it comes back to, you, you will reach a point where going to the gym gets really boring, and you think, you know what? I'll just stop with this one. This is the one I've got, and, and I'll be happy with it. And I think, you know, that, that is the only state of mind you can have. And if the, look, there are lots of features we don't like about our bodies, all of us. I've got a very small head, actually. My head, <laughs> no, I've got a big brain, but my head is tiny, tiny little head. I'm a pinhead, basically. And whenever I'm trying on a, a cap or a hat, it comes right down, and it's really embarrassing. Um, and all you have to do is remember that everybody... I've got squiffy eyes, uh, people keep Googling me. Uh, Google tells me that one of the things when you Google my name is Evan Davis blind, because my eyes are looking in different, <laughs> my eyes are looking in different directions. Um, uh, you know, one's looking over there, one's looking over there. And so we all have things, uh, we all have things that we really don't particularly like about ourselves. But the, basically, if you just remember that everybody else has things they don't like about themselves, then you'll be fine. It's, it, it's, it's all a state of mind, all a state of mind. Totally. But obviously, the part, a big part of the reason for young gay uh, guys, in fact, across the entire LGBTI community with their body is because they're trying to seek out relationships and, and falling oh, in love. I'm glad we got onto this. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, so I wanted to ask you about relationships because obviously you've got to a point where you're in one you've got a very cute dog which i get massive cute aggression around the, the relationship is with the man not the dog i mean the dog is an important part just the, the dog clarity. is an important part of the household but the main relationship is with the guy yeah yeah guillaume yeah you know what my mum always said um you must settle down you must settle down with someone and that was probably in my more sort of promiscuous years and um I always thought, that's what mums say. Mum was right. <laughs> and you do want to settle down. And I don't think that means settle down at any cost. I don't think it means get into the wrong relationship. However, I think love comes in various stages. This is, this is what I think. And there's a science of this which backs this up. Love comes in various stages. And there is a euphoric initial stage which is, I think, called the face-licking stage, where you want to lick each other's faces. That is the... That is a very... How long does that last? That lasts anything up to sort of one night to sort of eight months. And that eight is... Months, that's a very important phase. And you feel very good in that phase. And then you move into a different phase, which is, oh, we need to go to Ikea. <laughs> and... Um, I can't wait to go and have a yeah. <laughs> And... Then you move, I think, you grow, you grow old together and you kind of, the relationship bends with you together because you're actually developing and you're having to develop together and you're sort of, so you're changing and you're having to change together. Um, and the truth is, that the mistake people make is they love the drug of the euphoric face-licking phase. So they go through that... They don't get to the sort of next level. You can think of it as a video game. They don't get to the next <laughs> level. They're on to the next game, let alone on to the third level. And, and so then they, they're always getting lots of face licking, which is lovely. But they're never getting to these later stages. And my, my view is those later stages are deeply, deeply satisfying, really satisfying. Um, not in a face-licking kind of way. I can't remember when Guillaume and I last licked each other's faces. But we, are, we do maintain physicality, a lot of physicality. 
and and a lot of touching. And I, 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 I what's funny about that? Oh, this audience, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I really wasn't. I was taking that really but, seriously. No, I wasn't I giggling think, inside my head. <laughs> no, I, I do think, um, I do think getting to that stage, I mean, we, we actually almost ended our relationship at Ikea. It was so, it's the, so annoying. That, that sounds place. like a drama film. No, no, <laughs> we're really, you know. Um, but, but the Ikea phase is great, and the kind of actually realising that you have developed as a couple, and you, and you have no thought, literally no thought, that you won't spend the rest of your time together, is, is deeply, deeply satisfying. And, you know... The best line on, on um, marriage was Sybil Thorndike, who was asked whether she had ever contemplated divorce. She said, divorce, never. Murder, often. <laughs> and yes, we, we, you know, that is not to pretend that the relationship is kind of some bed of roses in which you are constantly all gazing into each other's eyes. But it is to say that you are, you just have no expectation that you will ever split up. And you just have that security and you have that understanding of each other and you, you, you get very annoyed with each other because people are annoying, all of us are. Um, but you really, really just, you have a security. And, and I think, I just think, just remember, whoever you are, that there are those upper, upper tiers of, of, of true love and it's worth getting to them if you can. And not everybody's going to be cut out for that and not everybody's going to find the right relationship and not everybody's going to be not everybody's going to be into relationships, but I would, I would, I would say if you don't don't push it away. And the only other thing, sorry, Jamie, I don't. I'm doing too much of the talking. Um, you're the guest. Well, I mean, maybe <laughs> you're the presenter. And look, I, I, I mean, the other thing is, and I have noticed this with friends of mine, younger friends of mine, think, let's basically think, gay men. Okay, they think getting a boyfriend is like buying a house. I, I, I want this thing and I want this and I'm looking for two bedrooms and, 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 and it, it isn't quite like that. I think the best way to get a boyfriend, um, is James still here? Yeah, he's oh, gonna, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the James, the best You're way, the best, <laughs> the best way to get a boyfriend, honestly, is not to think, is this person meeting my standard. The best way to get a boyfriend is to think, how do I make this person really, really want me? And let me give, 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 give. And I'm gonna give as much as I can to that person. And you know what, if, if you give, you tend to get a lot back. And if you don't get back, by the way, they're probably not the right person. But only come to that judgment after you have really, really tried to give and make them happy. If you start out in the first, you know, four dates thinking about them and what they want, you will have better relationships than if you constantly ask, what am I getting out of this? Am I getting enough out of this? You, actually, I, I interviewed, one of the nicest interviews I've ever done was with the richest guy, one of the richest guys in the world, Warren Buffett, the world's best investor, uh, who had a kind of slightly interesting love life himself. He's very elderly now. He's, he's like tens of tens of billions. And he lives a very ordinary life in, in Omaha, Nebraska. And he said love is the most, it's just the most interesting thing because the more you give, the more you get, unlike most 
other forms of material uh, material reward, reward. And um, and if you try to if you try to sort of throw it to someone else, it comes back to you. You can never get rid of it. You know, if you give it to someone else, it comes back. And uh, I've come to the conclusion he's right. You know, which doesn't. I'm still a selfish bastard a lot of the time. But I I, um, I, I really think that that is the best relationship advice. That's made me feel all warm and fuzzy. <laughs> what about you guys? Warm and fuzzy out there? Yeah. Amazing. Well, that does bring us right down to the end, so that's a very nice soundbite to finish on. Thank you very much. Let's give a round of applause to Evan. Hayes. Jamie, thank you. Lovely to be here. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Um, and I wanted to say a big thank you for everyone that's taken part online. This has obviously been part of Digital Pride, although this Query F recording is here and going out live on our stream too. Um, so just like James Barr did uh, with uh, Dan Hudson and Gay and Non-Gay, by the way, go back and listen and watch that stream if you haven't already. Just like to remind everyone in the audience to subscribe, rate and review on iTunes, um, which is, this is the bit that Evan always forgets. Um, and then, um, <laughs> um, and keep following all of the content across the Digital Pride Week, because it's been incredible. So that content on the Gay Star News website. Um, thanks very much, Evan. Thank you, Jamie. And I do advise people to subscribe, because it's really, really worthwhile. You heard it here. Evan first. Davis approved. Thanks very much. Take care. Thank you very much. And that draws Season 2 to a close. But stay subscribed and rate us on iTunes in the meantime, because we'll be back very soon. Keep an eye on the at Student Pride social media accounts for news about when. Today's show was presented and produced by me, Jamie Worm. I'm a journalist at Gay Star News and a mentor for the National Student Pride media team. And we'd also like to thank another NSP team member, Alex Ingram, and his company, Rendezvous Events their National Student Prize production team, and they also hosted this live podcast evening for Digital Pride. It was their very first A Rendezvous With event. We'll stick a link to that in the show notes. We've been hashtag queer as fuck, and my gosh, so have you. Stay subscribed for season three. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.